Thank you for staying tuned. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. This is the commentary to Parashat Va'et Hanan, and uh, this is Part C. We hope you've listened to Part A and Part B, where we've introduced the uh, topic of the Shema to the listeners today. And in this topic, we are discussing the difficulties that arise when we try and comprehend or apprehend who God is, or or how God, how how it's possible that God can be one and yet Yeshua can be God as well. Again, we're talking about the concept of Trinity or Triunity, as the Shema declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord alone is how some translations put that verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone is our God. And it's no wonder then why Judaism has maintained their fierce monotheistic position when it comes to affirming God's oneness and rejecting any notion that Yeshua can be one with God. So we're going to talk about this topic, okay? Follow along with me if you've got the written notes. We are around the middle of page 5. We're at the the um, section entitled Blurring the Lines. Now, according to some scholars, every instance when a mortal encountered the divine God, they were really in some way beholding Yeshua. Have you ever heard this before? It's quite popular in Christian circles. Um, it's It's quite blasphemous in Jewish circles. But um, again, uh, this is because God is understood to be invisible. Therefore, to behold God is to invite death. In fact, this seems to be the case whenever people in the Tanakh period would encounter divine beings, uh, angels or such, and they would they would perceive that they had seen God, and the, their, their response would be something to the effect that, I guess death is next, I'm going to die because I've seen God. And to see God is to die, because that's what's written in the scriptures. You cannot see my face and live. So, the Christian theology, or the Christian uh, tradition comes along and engineers a thought that every time that um, someone beheld God, or saw him, or encountered him, uh, theophany of sorts, then really it was Yeshua that they were beholding. Now, in this understanding, Yeshua is the common factor in every single revelation of God in the scriptures. And to be sure... Um, the scriptures, again, they do declare that no one has ever seen God but the only and unique Son who is identical with God and is at the Father's side. Of course, that's out of uh, the book of John, chapter 1, verse 18. So, there seems to be a truth to this position that to encounter God is to really encounter Yeshua. Yet, because Yeshua is God, we can say that we're encountering God. But it doesn't seem to be that neatly cut and dry if we um, if we examine it a bit further. Because Yeshua is also uniquely the Son of Man. He is divine. Yet, Yeshua is not the Father. Now again, understand the words I'm saying. Yeshua is not the Father, nor is God Yeshua. Rather, and, and again, I'm stretching human language to its limits to explain this. Uh, Yeshua is the Word made flesh, the Word with, which was with God, and the Word which was God. Now, that language sounds familiar because of, obviously I'm borrowing that from the Apostolic Scriptures. That's what John tells us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yet, again, we, we have to kind of understand that it's not as if, it's not as if, Yeshua became God somehow. I mean, he was always fully divine. It is rather that God the Word 
became a human being and we beheld such glory in the person and work of the Messiah named Yeshua. And, and, and you know, when we stop and ponder that, such profundity. How can we humans grasp that? How can we understand that God the Word became flesh and His name was Jesus? We, don't, we, we can't comprehend it. We have to affirm it if we want to relate to God properly. But, you know, the, the mind just cannot comprehend this. So, it, it, has to be, it, has to be, it has to be grasped by faith. And perhaps that's why it's going to take a great number of people um, a, good, a good long time to wrap their mind around it. Because faith is something that is a gift from God as well. We have to surrender to God in order to, to understand this mystery. So, let's see if we can talk about this a bit more. By understanding what the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, teaches believers about the unity of Yeshua and the Father, and again, you can reference John 10.30 for, uh, uh, for some more information there. What happens is the Scriptures give us the ability to interpret the Shema, the verses that we're discussing, Deuteronomy 6, um, and the passages there. The scriptures give us the ability to interpret the Shema in a more theologically correct light. What do I mean? Well, Adonai is Echad. That's what the Pasuk says. Yet according to Yeshua's own testimony, He and the Father also constitute an Echad. I and the Father are one. That's what He says. So, now we start doing the math, and that's, this is again where the human mind seems to fail. I and the Father are one, yet Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Is Hashem more than one? No. Is Yeshua Meshuggah? Is he, is he crazy? The word Meshuggah is Yiddish for crazy. Is he crazy? Of course not. He's not. He says, I and the Father are one. And I think it's a bit more than the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are hinting at. They say, I and the, they say that this verse, I and the Father are one, means that they are one in purpose. One in, like, like, my, like my wife and I are one in, in purpose. You know, we're one in, 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 um, in, uh, in a relationship. We are one in, in uh, I don't want to say in destiny, but y you know what I mean. We're one in, in, in uh, the, the goals and the pursuits that we uh, have laid out for ourselves. Uh, you should you should say this, husbands and wives. You know, we are one, and so Yeshua says of the Father, "I and my Father are one." I think it's more than that. It's it's got to be more than that. So this relationship of the Father to the Son has long since been a problem for my people, the Jewish people, to grasp, and it continues to baffle anyone attempting to put God in a neat theological box. That's the point. Faith lets go of the tension and accepts that Yeshua is who he says he is and that God has decided to reveal himself through his son and yet the son is unique he's he's his own person and again it'll baffle you if you try and rep, if you try and put words into it which I, I suppose I shouldn't even read any more in my commentary if we if I really said let's just stop right here and just accept it by faith but Remember, I, I warned you earlier that this is hashkafa, this is philosophy. So, we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Now, do we believe in three gods? No, we don't. That is the heresy called tritheism. Three separate, unique gods who do not interact with one another. Besides, the Shema clearly tells us that God is one. There is only one God. We know that there is only one God. 
Judaism believes this. Christianity affirms this. So, no, we don't believe in three gods. That's tritheism. It's heresy. Do we, do, then let's swing the pendulum to the other side. Do we believe in one god who simply wears three different masks to interact with mankind? I've heard this before as well, where we got one god who, while he's, during the time period of the Tanakh, he wore this mask called Yahweh, or Yahweh, and he interacted with the Israelites. And then when the time came in the first century, he put on this mask called Yeshua, and he walked the earth and interacted with humans. And then when the time came, he took off the mask called Yeshua, and he put on the mask called the Holy Spirit. And, and thus we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, we don't believe in that either. That is the heresy called modalism. So what we believe in, and when I say we, again, remember I said I'm speaking from the vantage point of a believer in Yeshua. What we believe in is one God who expresses his existence in a unity of three. Now again, the mystery is that each expression is uniquely God and yet uniquely single. It doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm telling you, it doesn't make sense. Yet that's what we affirm. We can't explain it, but we affirm it. We we can't uh, we can't we can't we can't comprehend it, but we 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 affirm it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what else to say. You know, ontology. You know, I talked about that earlier. Ontology is defined. Let me just take the dictionary definition. Ontology is defined as a branch of metaphysics concerned with the nature and relations of being a particular theory about the nature of being or the kinds of existence." End quote. The ontological implications of the very words, names, and titles used in the scriptures seem to help us to relate to God himself. Now, um, this is rather one way that I like to explain it to help me to relate to God. Observe what I'm about to say here. All, right? all of what the word God implies is not exhausted in the use of the words his son. Also, all of what the name Yeshua implies is not exhausted in the term the Father. And as well, all of what the term Ruach HaKodesh, or Holy Spirit, implies is not exhausted in the man Yeshua, and so on and so forth. Does that seem to make a little more sense? I mean, we cannot logically collapse each name, phrase, and title into the others without doing damage to the import of the scriptural references. Okay, God seems to take great care into um, revealing to us the different roles uh, that each person of God uh, plays. Um, you know, in, indeed, if if we do not understand this part, then it seems that uh, uh, we're going to not fully grasp the scriptures the way they have been handed down to us. The ancient Hebraists thought of God in concepts of this and that. Okay, God is both this and that. That's Hebraic mindset. Conversely, the historic Greek mindset approached God in concepts of this or that. Notice the difference? And um, So, if, if we are to understand scripture as it has been given to us, we have also got to allow scripture to portray God as this and that. And sometimes the this doesn't seem to um, how, it, it doesn't seem to, to uh, uh, completely match up with the that. 
you know, we've got God over on one side who's a spirit, and then we've got Yeshua on the other side who is also God, yet we can see him, and he can bleed if you cut him, and yet we, we can't comprehend. We say it's either this or that. No, 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 that's a Greek mindset. The Hebraic mindset says, no, it's this and that. Moshe clearly wrote in Exodus chapter 24 that he and the elders of Israel saw the God of Israel. And let me just pull out my scriptures here and give you an example of a this and that. Okay? In Genesis chapter 24, um, I'm sorry, not Genesis 24, it's Exodus 24. I said Genesis. In Exodus 24, uh, starting in verse... Um, Starting in verse 9, it says, Moshe, Aharon, Nadav, Avihu, and the 70 of the leaders went up. Now, of course, they're going up to the mount where Hashem is. They went up and they saw, this is verse 10 of chapter of Exodus 24, and, and Moses is writing this, and they saw the God of Israel. And then listen to the description. Under his feet was something, under his feet? Let's just stop right there. Under his feet? His feet? <laughs> okay, I thought God was invisible. Under his feet was something like a sapphire stone pavement as clear as the sky itself. Speaking of God, he did not reach out his hand, his hand. He did not reach out his hand against those notables of Israel. On the contrary, they saw God even as they were eating and drinking. So, take this verse and put your finger in it. And then thumb over to John chapter 1 in the Apostolic Scriptures, and look at John chapter 1, verse 18, and John writes, now, before I say this, keep in mind, John, being a Jewish man, was surely familiar with the passage I just read out of Exodus 24, right? Now let's read John 1, 18. Quote, No one has ever seen God, but the only and unique Son who is identical with God and is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. No one has seen God. Now, how can we have both of these verses existing in one Bible? Critics, of course, would say, well, of course we can have them existing because the Bible doesn't make any sense. That's Greek mind thinking. That's, that's a Greek way of thinking, a Greek way of approaching the scriptures. Obviously, there's tension in the words we're reading. But that's Hebraic. Scholars refer to this as Hebraic tension, where we have this and that. We have this verse and we have that verse, and both verses we affirm is true. The Greek mind says it is either this verse which is true or or that verse which is true, but both cannot be true. No, Hebraic says, no, that's okay. Both can be true, even though they seemingly contradict one another. So let's go on. Let me just go on record as saying that I believe that Yeshua is God, veiled in flesh, and the Spirit of God is God himself. I really do believe that. I don't understand how it works, but I believe it. The matter of authority comes into play, however, when I examine some of the roles of each deity. Now again, I use the word deity there because Yeshua is fully God and the Spirit of God is fully God. There's only one God. The role of God, listen to this, the role of God is as head over Yeshua and the role of the Ruach is as witness to Yeshua. Yeshua seems to be the focal point of God's revelation to mankind. God the Father is the Father of the Son. The Father didn't die on the cross, the Son died on the cross. And the Son sends His Spirit to live with believers. So the fa the son does not send the father to live with the believers. Yet in yet we do find verses where the language seems to uh, suggest 
that the Father lives with us, but we know it's because of Yeshua's death, and we know that it's because of the Spirit that the Father sent on Yeshua's behalf, which of course is the same Spirit that the Son sent. So you see, there is a there there is a divine conspiracy going on between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to 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 give us the humans the uh, um, the conclusions that we draw about who is God and who is Yeshua. The role of Yeshua is as witness of the Father. And the role of the Spirit is as active agent of the Father as well. Obviously, you know, the list that I'm just describing here is not exhaustive. The part that brings it all together is when we remember that true worship belongs to God and God alone. And as such, whenever, and, and, and we have to use the scriptures to confirm this, whenever Yeshua or the Ruach is also worshipped, we catch a glimpse of the oneness of the threeness of God. Okay? We pray to God the Father. I know many Christians who pray to the Son, even though there aren't verses that specifically say pray to the Son that I'm aware of. Um, if you can find one, go ahead and email me and let me know. Praying to the Son or praying to the Spirit. But we do know that there are verses that mention the Father, Son, and the Spirit in such close proximity as to understand that reverence meted out to Yeshua is reverence meted out to God. And reverence meted out to the Spirit is reverence meted out to Yeshua and the, and the Father and, and, and on and on. And, and so there is the understanding that I owe my allegiance to God alone. And so if I pray to Yeshua, which I personally don't think is wrong, by the way. We don't have to have a scripture verse to tell me that it's okay or not okay to pray to Yeshua. It's, it's understood from the context. To pray to Yeshua is to pray to the, God, uh, pray to the Father because Yeshua is, the, he is the, the advocate on our behalf. And he and he, and he intercedes for us. And so our prayers, just like we, we, we minister to the priest in, in the days of the Tanakh, we minister to the priest, we bring a sacrifice to the priest, and we actually we, we leave the food with the priest, you know, the, the food that is a result of the animal that, that is killed, and the offerings and the things like that, the, the drink and the bread and, and such. We bring these to the priest, but to do so is to, to do so to do service to God. We know that it doesn't stay with the priest. We have the same principle at work in churches and in synagogues around the world where we tithe and we give offerings to the physical um, location known as the church or the synagogue building, but yet it is used for God's service and it's tantamount to giving it to God himself. So we don't need a scripture verse to tell us that we cannot pray or that we have to pray to Yeshua to figure out that to pray to Yeshua is in fact to send our request to the Father. It is arrogant for anyone to think that he or she can grasp the mystery of the Godhead. Plain and simple. We cannot understand it. We must wait until Yeshua comes back and is able to, as it were, unlock the the um, uh, the problem that our mind has with understanding God. We must wait for Yeshua's help. So the fact that the doctrine of the Trinity, and again, I'm going to use the word Trinity as a, in, in a safe way this time, because when I say Trinity and around Christians, they understand what I'm talking about. Not three gods, and not a three-headed God, not a, not, a God, not a God who wears three masks. One God, three persons, okay? Um, the doctrine of the Trinity is not readily understandable in terms of human reason. And, um, and you know what? That shouldn't worry us, because God is above human means. He's above, he's above human wisdom. Okay? He's a lot smarter than us, and we should just leave it at that. This is what the proper Christian's response should be to any polemic against the doctrine of the Trinity. The, the, the Trinity is constantly under attack. And again, I, I, 
to be honest with you, when I'm around Jewish people who don't understand that Yeshua is God, I don't even use the word Trinity at all. And uh, that's probably a safer way to approach the topic. Let's just talk about God. Wait for the Spirit to begin to minister to this person and begin to open their eyes. And then I can start talking about Yeshua the Son, who brings them to the Father. And let the Spirit explain to them that Yeshua is one with the Father. But to start out by saying, oh, I believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that, that's just, just a little bit too much for your average Jewish person. And so, again, there is a lot of um, argumentation going back and forth, and we don't need to argue as much as we, we really are. We, in all humility and submission to God, can only say this. God has revealed himself as Trinity. In, other, in essence, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we do not rationally understand this, and any explanation that we come up will be flawed. But since God has revealed himself as Trinity, then what is our response? We submit to him as Trinity, even if we do not completely understand how he can be Trinity. Does that make sense? I mean, it's blasphemy to reduce, as it were, God to something we can understand. To say, God, all right, I'm going to bring you down to my level, put you under my petri dish, and pick you apart, and after I've figured you out, then I'll worship you? No. No, it doesn't work that way. God is high and lofty. God is above where we are. We look up to God. We, we, we recognize that God is above us, that we, that we cannot comprehend Him. Nevertheless, we worship Him anyway. The purpose of theology is not to cut God down to the size of human reason, but to elevate human reason to the contemplation of the divine mystery, which is what the mystery that teaches us that the one God ineffable, incomprehensible, exists in a unity of three. Okay? And, and, and to be sure, that's where we're just going to have to leave it. Now, what I want to do in this next section, it's about 20 minutes um, into this part C, I recorded a section um, where I talk about the word. Alright? The word in Jewish circles goes farther back than Christian uh, theologians are probably aware of. And so, on the top of page 7, this next section in my commentary is entitled, The Word According to Judaism. And um, what I did is I pre-recorded this next section in a commentary that I did to, uh, to part of Galatians. And what I want to do for you guys here in this commentary is I want to pull in that part that I talked about um, in the Galatians commentary into this commentary here. And so let's pick up the uh, commentary that I recorded earlier uh, where we're going to talk about the word according to Judaism, okay? Here is some information that I culled from, let's see, where did I get this? From the Jewish Encyclopedia on pages 464 through 465. Here's what they have to say about the word of the Lord. Quote, In Scripture, the word of the Lord commonly denotes the speech addressed to patriarch or prophet. And they provide you with some examples in Genesis, Numbers, and 1 Samuel and Amos. But frequently it denotes also the creative word. And they give you a quote, quote, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And that comes from the book of Psalms. Um, they ask you then to compare, quote, For he spake, and it was done, end quote. Another quote is, quote, He sendeth his word and melteth them, the ice, that is, he melts, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, end quote. These again are lifted from the book of Psalms. They go on to say that in this sense it is said, quote, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And again, the quote is from Psalms. 
the word heard and announced by the prophet often became in the conception of the seer an efficacious power apart from God. Now listen up. This is the 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 consensus of the Jewish sages down through the centuries without the axe to grind from the Christians. Listen to what they say about the word. The word often became an efficacious power apart from God, as was the angel or messenger of God. And then they give you another quote. This time it's from Isaiah. Quote, The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. The it in that passage is the word. End quote. And then they give you another one from the book of Psalms. Quote, He sent his word and healed them. And the object of the Hebrew there is that the word heals them. The he, of course, is God, but the word is the one that heals them. And then they ask you to compare this, this quote from the book of Psalms. Uh, quote, his word runneth very swiftly. Notice um, that the word is personified as, as if it's a person. The word is running, end quote. Now, that's the end of the um, information from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Let's go back to my own commentary. If you follow it along very carefully. And of course, if you've done your homework and read the book of John, especially chapter 1, verses 1, then you will have realized by now that the word of the Lord is in fact the Lord Adonai, or yod himself. That is really what the Jewish um, uh, authorities are saying here. The word of the Lord is the Lord. This much is made clear by the objective text and the subsequent notations that we observed in Hebrew via the footnotes. Um, but let us take it one step further to complete the mystery. All right, Because some of you aren't buying this yet, and, and that's okay. I, 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 when I first encountered this information, um, it was a little hard to swallow. But uh, as I worked through it and, and availed myself of the, of the data, um, it, it, it kind of made more sense to me. Okay, let's go ahead and... Um uh, cut it off right there as far as the information from the previous commentary. That was taken from a commentary entitled uh, Genesis chapter 15 credited to him as righteousness which is available on our website if you'd like to hear the entire commentary there. Um, it's about oh, let's say 25 minutes or so into part C. Let's call this part C and when we return we'll be, start at the top of page 8 where we are going to take the information that we've been looking at and we're going to take a step further and talk about, again, the Targums. But we're going to talk about this information that the rabbis have introduced known as the Memra. And so when we come back, we will pick up the commentary on the top of page 8 with the section entitled Memra in the Targums. Stay tuned.